would, that we would say nothing until Christ speaks it through us. Is that a tailor? A tailor? I have a tailor as well. Which, which series is that? The 400 or the smaller one? Okay. I, I have one as well. Boy, they play so well, huh? You are very, very good at that. Thank you for blessing us. The environment was wonderful. Very easy to, um, very easy under his leading to, um, to just be attentive to Christ. So thank you for, for that environment. That was really good. Uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 2. And I guess, uh, I, I don't know if you put a title on these, but I, 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 I'm, going with, I'm going with true life. True life is, would be the title if we have one. And um, we're going to go to Galatians 2, verse 20. And, you know, it's, it's good. It's okay if there's a different version on the screen than what I read from. I think it actually is a better thing because we get to see the fullness, you know, through two different versions. I, I read from the 1984 NIV. And the reason I read from the 1984 NIV is the same reason I speak English. It's what I grew up on. So I'm really familiar with it. So that's why it's no particular reason. Uh, I believe that uh, when it comes to the English versions of the Bible, I believe every one of them need a lot of help <laughs> from the anointing. And, and so that's, that's why I don't argue over versions because I, I say, man, every one of them needs, uh, every one of them are completely lifeless until Christ reveals the meaning behind it. You see, and so that's kind of set me free a long time ago. But uh, you joked about Greek and Hebrew, and I actually, as I was reading this verse, I, I spoke Wednesday night on Galatians 2.20, and man, it was an incredible night. It was an incredible night. And this morning I looked at Galatians 2.20 again and I said, let me look up the Greek on these things and got a whole new lens through this. So what I spoke Wednesday night was 100% correct, but it, it, there's more to it. It wasn't the full story. Kind of like, um, like Luke's account, Matthew's account, that both 100% correct, but there's more to the story. And so sometimes, you know, as you begin to look, as you begin to allow the Lord to just just be open to him teaching us. You know, Jesus never said, go and learn about me. He said, come and learn from me. That's what he said. That's what he said. You know, even the Pharisees spoke a lot of truthful statements. But Jesus said that their teaching was inactive. And he said they would give an account for every inactive word that they spoke. We use the word idle or careless, but the Greek word is argon, and it means inactive. So the, the famous scripture that says um, you'll, you'll give an account for every idle word that you speak, the actual word there is, is inactive. So we can speak truthful statements about Christ from scripture, but unless Christ is speaking it through us, it is inactive. 
It is inactive. And um, it is Christ who opens it up. And if you look at that Matthew 12, that's Matthew 12. We're not going there, but boy, 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 if you get into the Greek, look up the Greek word for good and the Greek word for evil that is used in Matthew 12. And he's speaking to the Pharisees. And boy, you'll, 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 you'll get what I'm talking about there. There's a type of uh, toil from the flesh, and that's the word for evil. And it's actually the word that Jesus used when he said deliver us from evil. Was deliver us from, Greek word is paneros, and it means toilsome. Deliver us from toiling in the flesh to, to bring forth spiritual productivity. See, in the same way Christ says, he doesn't say, go and learn about me. He also doesn't say, go and produce for me. He says, come and learn from me. And in the same way, he would say, come and let me work within you. Let me speak through you. Let me work through you. Let me show the world my exaltation through you that I might be exalted among the nations, as you be still and know that I am God. But boy, that takes a lot of trust. To get real still and feel real unproductive and to remain in me right there and watch. He says, I say to you what I say to everyone, watch. He says, the servants have their assigned task, but you, your task is to stand at the door and watch. That's what he said. And he's referring to us. Watch in your stillness and seemingly unproductiveness. Watch what I begin to form and after I begin to form my life, teaching, and work in you, and my thoughts in you, then, believer, look back and ask yourself, was your forcing my kingdom greater, or was my forming my kingdom greater? And you will be convinced to be still and seem unproductive and watch what he forms, which is far greater than anything that we can do. This is what he's meant when he said, how can you who were evil produce anything but evil? And the word evil is toilsome. How can you who are toilsome, how can you who are flesh produce anything good is what he said. And that word was agathos, which is a goodness specifically originated from God. It wasn't Kalos good. Kalos good is good that we can do for one another and we should do and we should not get weary in doing. We should be kind and good to one another. That's not what he said there. He said, how can you who are toilsome say anything agathos, which is a goodness that originates from God. And then he says, the man who is agathos has agathos stored up in him and speaks agathos. 
goodness that originates from God. The man who has goodness that originates from God has goodness originating from God within him, and he speaks goodness originating from God. That's Matthew 12. Look up those Greek words for good and evil. That's what you'll get. And then he says, you will give an account for every inactive word you speak. That's the context of Matthew 12. This is why we can now pray without ceasing because prayer is not always formal prayer. It's not always closet prayer. But prayer, a big part of prayer, is watching and listening. Now prayer is becoming relational. God does not have to answer me for it to be prayer anymore. For he already told me what to do. He told me to watch for him. And so now prayer without ceasing looks like this. My lifestyle becomes I'm muted. I'm muted. And I'm watching for you who are in me to reveal your life and to reveal your work and to reveal your character. And I'm watching for that. As the men on the road to Emmaus... Christ was with them pretty much the whole time and they were unaware of it. And the believer has Christ in him and he's unaware of it. The awareness of Christ is not always evident. And it's not meant to be because he wants the believer to watch for him. That's the proof of the believer's faith that he trusts him as he's watching for him. And at the appointed time, as he did with the men on the road to Emmaus, as he began to instruct them in the scriptures, and as he began to break bread with them, there's your fellowship and learning from him, then their eyes were opened and their hearts burned within them. There's the awareness of the life of Christ. And this is the picture that he's called the believer to. He's called the believer to go to Emmaus I tell our church on Monday morning, you are all going to go to Emmaus. Church is over. We're going to leave Jerusalem, and we're going to walk to Emmaus. And we we won't be aware that he's with us, but we know he is. And at some point, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next, probably this week at some point, the awareness of Christ will manifest if we are watching for him. This is the life of Christ that flesh cannot produce and flesh has to depend on him to do. Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. We can't determine when the awareness of his kingdom work will come, but we can watch for this. And we should watch for this. And nobody watches for this unless they're convinced he's going to appear. If you tell me you're going to come pick me up at my house at 920 and take me to Favor Church, at about 910, I'm going to start watching for it. Why am I watching for it? Because I'm convinced that at some point that's going to happen. But tomorrow, I'm not watching for that because I'm not convinced that's coming. So if the believer is not watching for the awareness of Christ, he doesn't believe he's coming. So today, I guess, when we hadn't gotten to Galatians 2, I understand. But today, we need to understand that 
if our lifestyle, I'm not talking about agreeing with me with my verbiage. I'm not talking about agreeing with the teaching. I'm talking about if our lifestyle, we need to honestly assess if our lifestyle is not a continual a continual lifestyle. This is what it means to pray without ceasing. It's a continual thing. It's a continual lifestyle. It's not necessarily formal prayer, but it's a prayer in the sense that I'm continually watching for Christ. I don't know when he will appear. I'm not talking about the last day return. That is also we watch for. But we're talking about in the course of our life, as we go to Emmaus, as we mow our lawn, as we drive to the store, as we focus even on earthly things, which is not bad, we are in this kingdom, as we concentrate on our work and as we do our work, there's a continual, if we let Christ teach us this, there's a continual thought somewhere in your head in the back of your mind or whatever there's a continual awareness that he might appear in my life he might have a kingdom work he might have a word he might have a deed he might have a thought for me that doesn't get spoken and if we're aware that this is the possibility now we begin to watch for that So in Galatians 2, verse 20, this is what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm just going to read it, then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, that's just, I, I, I'm going to say that I cannot teach this, but Christ can. Let's depend on him to break this down for because I cannot teach this. This is, I can teach it and it not be activated, but Christ can teach it and it be activated. Okay, I have been crucified with Christ. I want us to think about when we were born again first. Think about when we were born again. Our lives, we surrendered our life. It was a type of being crucified. It was a type of being crucified with Christ. We We were willing to die to the old life. Okay? And I no longer live that way but I live in accordance to Christ who is in me. Okay, that's salvation. Okay. But Paul says in Colossians, I think it's 2.6, where he says that in the same way you came to him, remain in him. So if that was our posture on day one, it needs to remain our posture on day a million. Right? So the posture was, I came to Christ, I gave up on my Ability to, to produce life for him, and 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 I'm I, and I surrender. I die, and, and and I was fully dependent on him to do something. In fact, I remember that. I remember calling out 
for salvation. And I knew, I was fully convinced that if he didn't do something on his end, then I would, I would go home the same way I came. You see, you see the, the dependency we had the moment we were saved? That full dependency. Lord, I'm coming here. I'm hoping, I'm believing that you'll produce your life in me. But if you don't, it doesn't matter how much I call out. If you don't do something on your end, it's not going to happen. That's, that's dependency. Paul says, that can never change. That can never change. I don't care how wise and learned I become. I don't care how much I call out on him. It's not until he does it on his end that spiritual productivity occurs. And that's what Paul means. He says the same way you came to him, remain in him. That's what he's saying. That dependency could never change. And that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a hard time because Jesus said you were wise and learned and the Father takes great delight in hiding it from you. And then he says, now come and learn from me. And they couldn't do that. We talked about that back here. They had put too much work into their kingdom here that they, 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 could, not, they could not grasp the thought of burning it all down and starting over. But had they done it, had they done it, their righteousness would have surpassed all the Pharisees. Paul did it, and in an instant, he's being taught by God. No man taught him, being taught by God. And he comes back and he corrects the 12, specifically one who was in the inner circle of Jesus, the top three, comes and sets him straight and puts him in line. So if we tear down all that we think we know about God, we will find ourselves vastly superseding beyond what we thought we knew. But there has to be, no one does this unless they trust. There has to be a stepping back, surrendering, that he may fill the cup with his greatness and it will overflow as though it was pressed down, shaken, and running over of knowledge of him. This is what he wants to do. Now this verse in 320, I want to look at it not from the salvation standpoint because it's supposed to be the same going forward. So let's look at it going forward. This is what it says. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That word live is very specific in the Greek. It comes from the word Zoe. We talked about that last time I came. Zoe is, in fact, I, wanted to, I didn't want to miss it, so I wrote down the definition of Zoe. Somewhere in here. I thought I had it written down. Maybe I didn't. Oh, yeah, I did. That's right here. I took a picture of it. So this, this is the definition for Zoe, for this word life. Now, Zoe is not, Zoe is, okay, so in the lexicon, Zoe is 2222. This word is like 2219. It's like a variant of it. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, like a lot of the Greek words have, have three or four words, like one number off. And it's basically the same word. It's just the root. Zoe's the root. That's all the, so this is basically the same word as this, and this is what Zoe means. Always and only coming from and sustained by God. Always coming from God and only coming from God. 
in God's self-existing life. It says the Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people. See, it's from his end. Creating each in his image, not man trying to create an image that looks like him, but he creating his image in the believer, which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. That's what Zoe means. It is a life that comes, that is a life that always and only comes from the self-existing life of God. Now, when you see this word life, think about it that way. Let's read it again. This is what he says now. I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm giving up on trying to produce that life. That's what he's saying right there. I give I give up. Don't think about salvation. He's already talking. He's writing to a saved people, by the way. He's not trying to tell them how to get saved. They've already been saved. He says, this, this specific church, he says, you began in the spirit. He's already passed that. We're, we're, we're past that. There, 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 there is a people to talk to that about, but that's not what he's talking to right here. He's saying, church, a spirit-filled church, he's saying, I'm talking to you guys about this life. He says, you need to be crucified. You, you need to be crucified. He's not talking about murder and adultery. That's obvious. Yes, we need to crucify our flesh from those things, of course. But let, no, let's go beyond that. He's saying, in trying to see the life of Christ at work in you, you need to crucify your flesh on that. You can't do it. That's what he's saying. You, you cannot do it. So he's saying, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That word live is basically it's Zoe. I no longer, I no longer try to form this life that can only come from God. And by the way, Paul knew all the scripture by heart. He was actually writing scripture. So it's not a matter of knowing enough scripture to produce this. Yes. Z-O-E. In, in, in the lexicon or in the uh, Strong's, it's 2222. Number of witness, number of witness, number of witness, number of witness. If you want to witness Christ, let his life work through you. That's another thing. I cannot witness for Christ. Rather, the world should witness Christ in me. There's, there's, there's effective witnessing. I cannot witness Christ to someone. Rather, someone should witness Christ in me. And that too comes from his end, making it Zoe, making it the life that is self-existent life, always from God and always and only from God. I'm keeping that, I'm keeping that. See, I took a picture of that definition. I'm keeping it on my screen so I can keep saying that. It says, he, 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 oh my gosh, that's so good. So it's, I no longer live. I no longer form this life. I no longer have the burden of forming this life. In fact, my only burden is to crucify the flesh from trying to do it. That's what he said. That's Galatians 3.20 right there. It's such a famous verse, you read it fast. You don't even read it. You skip it almost because you know it. But man, this is rich. So I, I'm crucifying the flesh from trying to form this kind of life. I no longer try to form this life. I no longer live. But Christ lives, same word. I already looked it up. Same word. 
Christ lives in me. Christ, Christ forms and intimately shares his gift of the self-existing life of God in me and through me. But notice there has to be a death of dependency on flesh to do it before this happens. There's an order. There's a proper order. He says, I crucified with him. And by the way, you need help with that? That too comes from his end. Because he says in Colossians that Christ circumcises your heart. You know what circumcision is? It's the cutting away of flesh. Christ cuts away the flesh in your heart that you might know him. Deuteronomy said it even in the Old Testament. God says, I will circumcise your heart and then you will love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The church is teaching, learn, love God harder, love God harder. And then your heart will be circumcised. No, 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 no. Let God, from his end, as the believer, dies to his end on that, and he trusts God to cut away the flesh in his own heart, then by nature, as a child loves his father, by nature, never has to try to, by nature, you will love the father. You never have to try to love God. Are you getting free yet? Because you never have to try to obey the greatest command. And if you don't have to try to obey the greatest command, you don't have to try to obey the lesser commands. Because by nature, you will automatically obey the greatest command to love God with every fiber in you because it comes from his end. He circumcises your heart as you depend on him too. And then by nature, you will love him because what happens when God cuts away the flesh in a heart, understand when God cuts away the flesh in a heart, understand what's happening is God is working in a man. And when God works in a man, and I don't want to get, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be worldly, but understand who God is. He's the groom. And understand who the man or the woman is. The believer is the bride. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to, to do anything wrong here, but understand that when the groom works in the bride, there's an intimate knowing of one another. So when God cuts away the flesh in a believer, the groom is working in the bride. And the bride is experiencing the groom. And this experience causes the bride to deeply and immeasurably love the groom by nature. Never has to try. Because now the bride knows the groom beyond informational knowledge. The bride needs to know the groom beyond informational knowledge only. As powerful as this is, it's information until there's experience. Until the groom works in the bride and understand, even from an earthly example, a groom cannot work in the bride until the bride surrenders herself to the groom. I, I mean, I, I didn't write this down. I don't want to. Th- I, I'm uncomfortable talking like this in the church, but, but I'm just saying that's the picture that God designed. And by the way, since there's no kids in here, you understand that's how life is produced. 
Now we see why Jesus said, you toilsome and adulterous generation to the Pharisees because they were trying to produce spiritual life without letting their groom work through them. They were adulterous with their own flesh. All of the deceiving ideologies we have about God that come from good intentions or actually the it's it's working within our own understanding. Oh, we can talk all day. We're not, we're not, we're not. But you see the picture. The bride must willingly give her it's like a type of crucifying the flesh, crucified with Christ. I surrender, I give myself up, I no longer work within myself. Because I believe and I trust that God is going to work in me. And when he works in me, there is a knowing of him, experiential knowing of him, that information alone could not give me. There is an informational knowing of him. There's an experiential knowing of him. And I want the experiential way before the. In fact, I'm going to, I don't have time for this. But in fact, I'm learning that what I learn experientially through him comes first. And then I go read my Bible and I see it where I never saw it before. There too is a proper order. For when man learns about God, his knowledge about God oftentimes hinders his knowledge of God because he has created walls in his understanding with the information that doesn't allow what's outside that wall to get through, and that's knowing him. So if I break all the walls down, I, I, I surrender, I crucify what I know about him, though much of it is correct. I still crucify it because I don't want any wall to hinder that of which he might want to show me. But if I allow him to show me that of which comes from his end, I'll go back and I'll realize a lot of things I knew about that were correct. And a lot of it wasn't. Or it was correct and it missed the big emphasis. Oh, it all comes from his end. If I will trust him so much that I'll surrender and crucify the end of the flesh. And I no longer, Zoe, live. I no longer, I no longer form the life of Christ. It comes from him. It's, it's this life always comes from and only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existing life. It's saying this life I, that I no longer live, I no longer sustain the life of God. I no longer form the life of God. But Christ who lives in me, Christ who lives, 
Christ who it always comes from and only comes from and is always sustained by his life. Christ forms that. That's what the verse is saying. That's what it says. And then he says the life, same word, the life I live in the body, same word. He's saying the spiritual life of Christ that takes place in my body. It, same word, live, I live. This life is by faith. I knew you'd like that. This life is by faith. It's by trust and dependency. The same way I was saved, if you don't do something, God, it's not going to happen no matter how, how much I call out to you. No matter how well I behave before you. If you don't do something in me, nothing happens. It's the same way. Same way. I live by faith. In other words, that life that I want the awareness of Christ to come forth from time to time in me, that, that, that life, that, that, that knowing of him that I can continually have, but the works in, in, in the words of Christ that come forth as he appoints them, that life, it's going to come by me trusting, by faith. Pistuo, or pastis, same word, root, and the same thing. It means to believe, comma, and trust. That life that I live in the body, in other words, the life of Christ that takes place in my body, it's by faith. And it's by faith specifically, it's by trust specifically in the Son of God who loved me. And now watch this, don't miss this phrase, and gave himself for me. Don't miss that phrase. Don't miss that phrase because we've, we've been thinking all along that the phrase, that the phrase that Jesus died for me or that Jesus gives me his life. Jesus gave me his life. I'm going to give you an emphasis on that that maybe you've considered and maybe you haven't. But we've always thought that, that phrase meant that he died for me. And he did die for me. He died, past tense, for me. But he lives, present tense, for me. He gives me his life. Sister, you just saw it, didn't you? He gives, present tense, he gives me his life. Not his death. That was once for all. But he currently gives me or forms his life in me. Where's that been? Why didn't I ever hear that? Until a week ago. And how did I hear that? The thoughts of God. The groom working in the believer. He gives us his life. He said, that's a play on words. Okay, Romans 6.10. And then I'm, I'm going to stop. I have so much information. So much information. But, I, but I, I'm, I'm going to, I just feel like it's right here. Look at Romans 6.10. The death he died, singular death, one death. You remember how Hebrews puts it? He died once for all. This is, the same, this is the same thing. See, it says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. It's past tense. And it's singular too. It's one time and it was in the past. Okay? 610, all right? But the life, and I looked it up, it's Zoe. 
this is the life, a life that only comes from God, a life that always comes from God, and a life that is sustained by God. Always from him, only from him, and is sustained by him. That kind of life, this is what he says. But the, that kind of life that he lives, he lives to God. That's the life that he gives us. So when you say, Jesus gave his life for me, we probably should say, Jesus gave his death for me, and Jesus gives his life for me. Because he gives his life to God for me and through me and in me. And then he goes on to say the same thing he just said. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, dead to flesh trying to form the life of Christ, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He gives his life to us. Think about that. So as you die to dependency on flesh to form the life of Christ or to look like Christ, now what we say is, now that I've made room for you, Lord, I'm dying to myself in, in this and I'm making room for you to give your life to me. That the world might not see my replica of you, but that they might actually see the real Jesus of Nazareth working through me. The reality of him. What do you think it meant when it said, when it said that in, in, in 1 John that, we believe that he appeared in the flesh. Yes, he appeared one time in his flesh, flesh and bone, but he still appears in the flesh of man. It's not man showing his best representation of Christ. That's what we've been trained to do my whole life. No, it's not it. It's Jesus is saying, if you'll let me exalt my very life in you, the type of life that comes only from me and comes from me and is sustained by me, you let me produce that in you, let me form that in you, and you'll never know how to do that other than trust me. You'll, 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 you'll never graduate beyond infancy on that. You'll always have to, to, to depend on me, and I will always form that faithfully. You let me do it. And I will literally represent my very reality, the reality of myself. I will, I will represent myself through you. And the great thing is the world actually sees him. And you actually get to experience the process of him revealing himself to the world. You get the experiential knowledge of him. It's like father taking his son to work with him. And it looks like the son's doing the work, but the father's doing the work through the son, by means of the Holy Spirit, through the believer. And then the believer is one with the spirit, one with the, who is one with the son, who is one with the father. Now, father, make them one as you and I are one so that the world may know that I came. That's what he said. That's John 17. And then he says in John 17, now deliver them from toilsome. Panero's evil. Deliver them from trying to do it in the flesh so that they might become one with 
us, Father, so that the world may know that I came. Die to the self in this process. Make room for him to come and represent his life. How do you think Jesus was the exact representation of the Father? It wasn't because he had his daddy's nose or nothing like that. No, he was the exact representation of the Father because he never said or did anything unless the Father said or did it through him. Therefore, by nature, he had to be exact representation because he wasn't doing it. The Father was doing it. And Jesus is saying, in the same way, you stop doing it and let me do it so you could be the exact representation of me. That's not heresy. That's saying, let me represent my life through you. Amen. That's the end. That's the end. Is it too early to stop? I'm stopping. That's the end right there. Yes, brother.